What is up, bosses? Before we get started with the show, let me tell you about our brand new sponsor, SaneBox. Inbox Zero, it's a thing of the past. Nearly unachievable with all the emails and newsletters that we receive today. That's where SaneBox comes in. I just started using SaneBox myself to clean up my Gmail account, and it's already been a huge help in tackling nonstop emails. I'll tell you more about them at the break, but if you want to learn more now, Head over to SaneBox.com slash like a boss for a free 14-day trial plus a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash like a boss. Now on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 184 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm out here in Kiev, Ukraine, waiting for Derek to hop on a plane. Welcome to the show. Dude, we're only two weeks away. It's going to be our first trip to Ukraine. I'm super excited. Actually, it's going to be one week away when this, the episode comes out. So next oh, week, yeah. July 13th, we're going to be kicking off the Invest Like a Boss in-person meetup for 2021. It just happens to be my my birthday week as well, but really it's going to be an Invest Like a Boss meetup. We're going to have a bunch of cool bosses, uh, some previous guests, uh, Derek's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Sam's going to be there. And yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to look at some real estate together, check out Kiev together and just kind of party and hang out together. And you know what? After last week's episode, I never even thought about Kiev or the Ukraine in general as a place to buy real estate. I know it's, you know, your thing and you're all, I'm, I'm, you know, based in the U S but after hearing that episode, I'm really interested to see these properties and what you get for the, for the value. Yeah. It's going to, if nothing else, it's going to make you never want to buy property in the U S <laughs> it's going to, it's going to feel so overpriced. Oh, I'm so jaded uh, in the U.S. market from what I've been going through personally to try to buy my own house that I think I'm over it already. So, <laughs> Yeah, and it's actually probably smart because everything is so overpriced there. But here, it's still a good deal. And in some cases, like in Kharkiv, I think it's underpriced. So if you guys want to come out and hang out, uh, all you have to do is be a Invest Like a Boss Patreon. Just go to Invest Like a Boss.com, click on Patreon, and join for as little as 5 bucks a month, and you're going to be invited to you know, it's, it's kind of an exclusive club, you know, of, uh, of bosses where we have exclusive content in there. We open our own portfolios, but also you get invited to events like this. Yeah. And we'll break down the schedule, uh, in the outro of this episode. And as much as Kiev is a market that a lot of people don't know about, and maybe they want to get in on today's guest is a market that everybody hears about, but a lot of people are scared to get into. We're talking about FOMO, this could be anywhere from the AMC to GameStop stocks, you know, anything crypto related, just the kind of stuff that makes the headlines, but you maybe don't know about it very much. Uh, this is where this fun kind of jumps in. I know, Johnny, you've been really critical of a lot of this uh, meme stock investing. So what do you think about the idea of a ETF in this space? <laughs> It almost sounded like it blurred it out for a second. I think it was just the internet, but it sounds like you said, like Johnny freaking hates meme stocks. And you're, you're... <laughs> essentially, essentially, that's what I yeah. said. Yeah, and, and you're you're right about that. But at the same time, I have been leaning more and more towards the possibility of allocating a certain percentage of my portfolio into picking individual stocks. 
And that's something that, you know, we, we've talked about in, in the quarter, the updates uh, in the Patreon that I've made quite a bit of money from picking individual stocks that I thought, you know, I had some kind of, you know, unique knowledge that it might go up. Things like MGM casinos, I, I figured it was down, you know, more than more than half last year uh, in, you know, March, April. And I was like, this is not going to go out of business. They also have their um, their branch in uh, Macau, and that's always going to make money. So they're going to survive, and they're going to come back, and they're going to grow. Or oil and gas was so cheap that I was like, you know, that's going to come back. So the but the things that I never would have invested in are things like AMC or GameStop. And there's certain you know kind of uh, hot FOMO stocks like Tesla, for example, that I would feel like I missed out on. But luckily, it's part of my index fund. You know, it's part of the uh, like VTI fund I'm in, for example. But these little tiny ones, like you know, GameStop, which are you know pretty much worthless stocks, are not going to be in it. So I love the idea. I love the name. Uh, but I was shocked to hear that this is an ETF, which I've always thought of an ETF as you know, just a boring index fund. So I'm excited to hear what this is about. And I'm, I'm curious what direction this is going to go. Yeah, we're talking to Matthew Tuttle. He's the CEO of Tuttle Capital Management. I think you'll find that his company actually does the exact opposite of these boring ETFs because they do really crazy kind of categories that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. So I think it's fun to kind of put them out there as a little bit different than your boring ETF. And why don't we see what he has to say and explain how, first of all, how they got the ticker FOMO, because it's a great ticker, <laughs> and uh, what this ETF is all about. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to have him on. And in the outro, we're going to talk about what our thoughts are about investing in FOMO or these funds. And also, we're going to break down what actual specific uh, stocks and companies are in the fund. So without further ado, here we go. This week's episode of Invest Like a Boss is sponsored by SaneBox. Inbox Zero, it's a thing of the past. We're also inundated with email now that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. Think of it as an EMT for your email. As messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you. It sifts through only the important emails in your inbox and directs all the other distracting stuff into your sane later folder so you know what messages to pay attention to now and what stuff can wait until later on i actually just signed up for SaneBox for my personal gmail address it had over 130,000 unread emails so crazy gmail was even warning me that my email was full i mean who fills up a gmail account uh apparently i do so SaneBox right now they're working on making a seemingly impossible amount of emails more sane and you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email see how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial and also a $25 credit when you visit sanebox.com slash like a boss that's sanebox.com slash like a boss for a free 14-day trial and a $25 credit it's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash like a boss. It is invest like a boss. I have a really exciting guest today. His name is Matthew Tuttle. He's the CEO of Tuttle Capital Management. 
they have a really cool new fund out there called FOMO. And I'm sure everyone knows what that means. It's maybe FOMO for the YOLO investor who doesn't want to go quite so YOLO. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, why don't you tell me about your career path and how it came into starting Tuttle Capital? It's obviously got your name in it. So I believe you're the guy that probably started it too. Yeah, that's a uh, pretty good assumption. So, (laughs) you know, started out working for a bunch of different Wall Street brokerage firms, none of which are still in existence. Uh, None of that was my fault. So, yeah, just want to want to get that out there and really was um, kind of taken aback by what was given out as quote unquote financial advice. Uh, then went to a couple of different insurance companies thinking maybe it would be better. And I mean, it was probably worse. Those guys are still in business. So yeah, I'm, I'm not like a, a bad luck charm. There's no killing the insurance companies. <laughs> Exactly. There's a reason why in every uh, every town you see the insurance companies are the biggest buildings. Right. They, uh, they they know how to make money. So did that, and then someone gave me a book on how to start up your own RIA. Read through it, cover to cover. Set up my own wealth management firm, and you know that was in 2003, and we were outsourcing investments, you know, using mutual funds and. And we had some strategies we were doing with some funds that were supposed to be absolute return. Then in 2008, our absolute return funds didn't lose as much as the market, but lost a whole heck of a lot more than I would like if something is called absolute return. And had a conversation with one of the money managers. And, you know, they said to me, well, you know, hey, we saw 2008 coming. But because we're, you know, a mutual fund, we can't go to cash. So we had to decide, you know, where we would put the money and we were wrong. It's like, you know what, that kind of sucks. And so realized the only way to do it right is do it yourself. So we started building out some of our own money management strategies. Then in 2012, we had some advisors start coming to us and saying, hey, we like what you're doing. You know, can you can you do this for us? So set up a money management firm, started doing that, then got really fed up with the the ability to trade through custodians and someone suggested starting up ETFs would be an easier way to do it. So we launched, started launching ETFs, got rid of the financial advisory business. And here we are today, 10 ETFs out there right now. We've got seven more in registration and a couple other things that we're working on. We may have 20 ETFs by the end of the year. Very cool. So it seems that the categories that uh, Tuttle chooses their ETFs in maybe are a little more non-traditional, I guess. Um, can you kind of speak to that and maybe maybe tell us about some of your other funds? I know the focus of, of this interview is going to be about the, the FOMO fund, but I found it interesting that, you know, I see you're involved in SPACs and, and, there, and there's a lot of other things, maybe some of these newer pieces of the market that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Is it, was that on purpose? Do you want to keep yourself maybe not so the norm um, and kind of focus on a new category, maybe for a new type of investor? Totally. So, you know, there's a bunch of different things going on in the market right now. First off, I mean, stocks are is uncorrelated from each other as, as, as I think I've ever really seen. 
you know, a couple of years ago, if you said, hey, Matt, what's the market doing today? I don't have to ask you what market. I'll tell you it's up or down. Now you ask me what's the market doing today? Well, NASDAQ, Dow, S&P, they could be all different things or you could be talking about something else. There's just so much going on. And a lot of it is not captured in traditional index funds, which is where the majority of investors are going. So that's number one. We want to be able to capture some of these areas. Number two, you know, we don't want to compete head to head with, you know, SPY and, and QQQ that are just giving you basic boring index exposure. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, what areas should you be adding to your portfolio? And, you know, SPACs have gotten a lot of bad press, but pre-merger SPACs, they're an alternative asset class. To me, everyone should own stuff like that. Our DSPAC stuff, I mean, those are going to be great trading vehicles for people who are more tactical in nature. We've got a tail risk ETF that's designed to try to make about as much money as the market makes when it goes down and still be able to make money when the market's going up. We're doing, we're changing around some of our existing ETFs as well. We're coming out with a short squeeze ETF. We're doing some things in ESG that nobody's doing. So yeah, that's really our focus. Where are there gaps in the marketplace? Where are there areas that you know, people should have exposure to, because again, there, there, there's some great opportunities you're not going to get in an S&P 500 fund. Very cool. So let's talk about the fund that we're going to focus on in this interview. That is the FOMO fund. It was just released last month. Can you kind of tell us about the inspiration behind that? Once again, the ticker is FOMO, obviously for fear of missing out. And I think a lot of people felt like they missed out when they see the news headlines you know, Reddit stock, AMC, GameStop, whatever it may be. Was that the inspiration for this? Or was this kind of a long time coming that your firm saw this ahead of time? Because obviously it takes some time to get an ETF together. So what, what kind of sparked the inspiration for this fund? So there are a couple of things. I mean, what you mentioned on the meme stocks was definitely it, or, or one of the things. So, you know, I mean, you see a lot of people saying, well, you know, this is a temporary mania. And I disagree, you know, to me, you know, so people say, well, this is like the 90s. The 90s were totally different. In the 90s, the brokers had all the power. And so they controlled access to the information. They controlled access to the trading and the investors weren't connected. They weren't able to really talk to each other. So they lost a bunch of money. And Wall Street went to them and said, hey, Mr. Individual Investor, you guys don't know what you're doing. Leave it to us. We're the experts. And that worked until COVID. All of a sudden, COVID comes. You're at home. You're sitting in front of your computer. You realize, wait a second, I have access to just as good information as any hedge fund does. I can trade for free at lightning speed. And, and most importantly, these guys are connected now. So, you know, there it's not one guy buying 100 shares of AMC. It's a million guys buying 100 shares of AMC and they're starting to move the market. And the interesting thing, though, I mean, I've got an MBA in finance. I was taught stocks go up either because they're overvalued or we think their earnings are going to grow. These guys never learn that. So they're making <laughs> up their own rules. And when you're making up your own rules and you're connected, so you're able to buy in these large blocks. 
I, I don't see that going anywhere. I mean, they've got power now. And what history has told you is that people who have power don't give it up willingly. So I think that's going to be a big thing going forward. And we wanted to give investors the ability to access that. The second piece of it is thematic investing has gotten a lot more popular. You know, uh, Kathy Woods stuff, but also, you know, electronic vehicles and robotics and AI and hydrogen, all of these thematic ETFs we saw coming out with some real major flaws. You know, the first being that they're, you know, they kind of base it on one area. And the problem with basing it on one area is, well, you know, what if that area becomes obsolete? So, you know, you're basing something on hydrogen fuel cells and, you know, what happens if some scientist figures out a way to, you know, run engines off of dog poop for real cheap, your hydrogen fuel cell ETF is, is totally obsolete. So sure. that's a problem. The other problem is they don't rebalance frequently enough. So they're not staying in harmony with what's going on. And they tend to have really high weightings in individual stocks, which means returns can be through the roof, but volatility and risk can be through the roof as well. So we wanted to do a couple of things. We wanted to say, you know, hey, here's a way to have a multi-thematic investment that can be in a bunch of different themes, whatever happens to be the best theme to be in. It can be in the memes as well. That's kind of a tongue twister. Um, and we're going to rebalance it on a weekly basis. And we're not going to overly wait. You know, we're not going to have 10% in Tesla. We might have 1% in Tesla, but you know we're gonna weight things accordingly so that no one position can you know, make us go through the roof or make us go through the floor. So th those were the motivations for FOMO. Great, I wanna get into more of that later, especially the retailer, uh, retail investor versus the hedge fund side for sure. Let's talk about the fundamentals of the fund really quick, just so you know people can get a better idea of what they're working with here. So first of all, I just want to start, I believe the fund started trending at the, at the end of May, correct? Which would be about one month from uh, when- Yeah, we're, we're almost a month. Okay. And it started trading around $25 a share. You're just about 26, obviously brand new. Uh, yeah. what is, uh, what's the current asset value of the holdings in the fund currently? So currently it's about seven, $8 million in the fund. Okay. Uh, what are the management fees? Uh, we talk about fees a lot here. Um, we're, we're big proponents of low fees. So uh, what are the fees that we're looking at in the fund right now? So it's, it's 90 basis points. We felt it was really important to keep it under one. Okay, great. And uh, I noticed there is no dividend currently in the fund. Is that because it's so new? Are there plans for a dividend down the line or what are your thoughts on that? So being a you know 40 act fund, we'll pay dividends and capital gains at the end of the year. Uh, certainly, I would hope there are capital gains. Dividends, there should be. I mean, we're probably going to be in some dividend panks. I mean, I know we're in some dividend pank stocks now. Um, and, you know, and that'll probably be a fairly frequent occurrence. You know, it's not obviously designed for income. It's designed for capital gains. But, you know, any income is, is great. But that, yeah, that'll be year end. Okay, great. So, you had mentioned, you know, other funds, you know, focus on a specific category. And, you know, if that category burns out, you know, they're really screwed. So it sounds like you have companies in various categories all over the market. 
Uh, what about size of companies? Are we specifically looking at large cap, small cap, anywhere in between? Uh, is there is there a minimum threshold for uh, the size of a company that you'll invest in? So I would say in most cases, the minimum is going to be the bottom side of small cap. You know, we don't want to go into micro cap because we are trading once a week. So we want companies that are liquid. You know, I never want to run into a situation where I'm telling our broker, hey, we're selling out of XYZ. And they come back to me and say, yeah, that'll take us five days. So I want stuff that when I, and so we rebalance every Monday at the close. I want stuff that I can sell every Monday at the close. So it's really, it's small cap, mid cap, large cap. So when you say rebalance, you know, let's say every Monday, whatever it may be, how much rebalancing are you really doing? Cause I, I feel like that might, that might worry some people that, you know, maybe you're messing with it too much. So that all depends. So we've got a number of different algorithms that run through our universe of stocks. And what we're trying to do is stay in harmony with the trends and the counter trends of what's going on. So, you know, if something is hot, we want to get into it, you know, before it's no longer hot. And if something, but we're, what we're also doing is we're buying dips. And so we want to be nimble enough to be able to buy the dip because buying a dip is a, you know, a, it can be a once in a lifetime opportunity that may not come back again. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, how about the stocks that you're looking at? Are you specifically staying in the in U.S.-based stocks? Are there any other emerging markets where, you know, maybe our average listener isn't paying attention to what's going on in Japan or Spain or whatever it may be. Is your company looking into these other markets as well? So right now, in, in the way it works is we construct a basket of potential stocks. And that's a discretionary process that we're constantly monitoring. And the basket consists of whatever we think should be in FOMO. Because I mean, if you know, if I think, all right, you know, what, what is FOMO? You know, so right now our basket consists of stocks retail investors like, hedge funds like, innovative technology stuff, meme stuff, either current memes or, or future memes, and anything related to blockchain and crypto. To me, that's what FOMO is. Now we could get to a point where FOMO is emerging market stocks or FOMO is Japan or FOMO is China. And then we would look at adding that stuff in but right now, the basket consists of, of, of only U.S. stocks. Okay, great. So when you're talking about those kind of stocks or even in crypto, you know, as we're recording this, Dogecoin alone has gone up 25%. Uh, AMC recently has gone through the roof. This is, it's fun and exciting stuff, but it can drop just as fast. So that kind of volatility, you expect to mitigate that risk with an ETF, but if you're buying into a lot of these uh, positions, are investors maybe is their concern that it's it's going to swing like that in this ETF? You know, and what do you have to to speak to against that? So a couple of things. First off, for the most part, our position sizes aren't going to get much above one percent. Okay. So you know, if I own AM, which I do, I own AMC, I own GameStop, but we're like one percent each in each one of them. So if AMC and GameStop went totally to zero today, we'd be down 2%. I mean, that would stink, but I mean, you know, that, that's, you know, that's just a bad day. It's not a disaster. So that's number one, how we weight the positions. 
Number two, we're looking to either buy into something that's in an uptrend or we're looking to buy into something that has been in an uptrend and is temporarily sold off. So for example, in crypto and in blockchain, we're not in anything. We got out of all of our crypto and blockchain investments a couple of weeks ago because they didn't meet either of those criteria. They weren't in an uptrend and they had gone down so far that you know, it wasn't a situation where it was something that had been strong and had a temporary sell-off. It was something that was just in a sell-off. And we're not right. trying to catch a falling knife. So our algorithm said, you know, get out of that stuff. Now, I mean, the other thing, we'd never be in like a Dogecoin. You know, I, I, I do believe in this whole retail revolution, but stuff that starts off as a joke, <laughs> I just... And there, I mean, there's no effective way with me as a 40 act fund to invest in Dogecoin anyway, but you know, we wouldn't be doing that. Sure. Well, that, that kind of, I feel like that kind of resonates with something like an AMC or a GameStop too, because there, while there's really no fundamentals in a Dogecoin, the, if you look at the financial fundamentals of an AMC or a GameStop, oh, totally. a lot of times they didn't really, they, they don't justify that price at all. So I, and not even a lot of times, every time. Sure. <laughs> Um, so well, speaking of something going to zero, you know, obviously we don't want this to happen or, you know, funds don't last forever. Uh, worst case scenario, the fund needs to dissolve, you know, what happens to an investor's, uh, money and are they able to get out and how does that process work? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, the, the ETF ecosystem is so efficient with, with anything like that. So, you know, money that comes in, money that comes out, doesn't move anything, and any fund, I mean, mine or anyone else that has to liquidate or chooses to liquidate. I mean, you could choose to liquidate a fund. That's got to be communicated and investors can sell on the open market at any time. It doesn't impact the value of the fund. An ETF is not like a stock. You know, it's not traded on supply and demand. It's traded based on the underlying holdings. And there's an arbitrage mechanism in there where if it ever diverged from the underlying holdings, people would come in and arbitrage that away. Uh, worst case scenario, let's say we're liquidating the fund and you didn't get the notice. You're, as soon as the fund liquidates, you're getting cash back for whatever the value of the portfolio is. So uh, yeah, I mean, ETFs from that standpoint are, are extremely safe for investors. They're not gonna get hurt if a fund liquidates. Okay, great. Sounds good. So I want to I want to uh, kind of go more into this retail investor versus hedge fund side of things because obviously you know you yourself and your team have been very deep into this. So is there's an argument out there that what retail investors are doing now is what hedge funds have been doing for decades. You know, it's just that you know people have access to this stuff now, and just by banding together and putting capital together, they're effectively able to do what the hedge funds are doing. Is that what you're seeing out there? Totally. I mean, you know, hedge funds have been manipulating markets, you know, since the very beginning, you know, hedge funds have been in insider trading, you know, an interesting thing. If you look at hedge fund returns before Raj Rajaratnam got convicted of insider trading and you look at hedge fund returns after they seem to dip and one would kind of question, well, is that because they were all insider trading and when Raj got sent to jail, everyone freaked out and stopped doing it? Or was there something else? And I would argue everyone was insider trading and they 
either stopped doing it or, or did it less. But yeah, I mean, hedge funds have been manipulating things from the very beginning. Where they've got an advantage is if you look at who the regulators are, who are the guys in charge, where did they come from? They came from Wall Street. Right. So, you know, when hedge funds and money managers are doing it, that's okay. When retail investors are doing it and hedge funds are losing money, everybody's in an uproar. So, you know, could we see legislation based on what's going on with these meme stocks? Yeah, we definitely could. Um, but yeah, I mean, the retail guy is doing what the hedge fund guy did. I mean, look in, not even the hedge fund guy, look what Elon Musk gets away with on Bitcoin. Right. This morning, he actually <laughs> tweeted a very interesting tweet about getting a new dog. So everyone freaked out and, <laughs> and the market went crazy. And he'll deny it the whole time that, you know, his, his tweets have that effect. But we, we all know the truth. Uh, that's another matter, though. Speaking of, you know, regulation, it can be argued that, you know, all these lobbyists in Washington are, you know, these hedge funds buddies. So they're obviously going to do what's best for them. Are you, is that something you're worried about? And, you know, who, who can, I, I guess I don't know how, how, to, how to pose it other than is the system kind of gamed where, you know, regulation will just be put in place to shut down the retail investor? I, I mean, it's something I think could happen. Worried about no, because we'll just move to see. There, there are always going to be opportunities. And, you know, and the meme stuff is, is a sleeve of FOMO. You know, it's not a meme stock fund. It's the entire fund is an AMC GameStop and all that stuff. So we'd move to something else. But I mean, I'd hate to see it happen because, you know, the retail investor now has, I mean, they've got an opportunity that they didn't have before just having to buy, you know, S&P 500 index funds. And yeah, so I'd, I'd hate to see it happen, but could it? It definitely could. Okay, great. So let's talk about researching. Is, is it simple as, you know, you got your team out there and they're hopping on Wall Street bets and Twitter and seeing what's going on? No. So we use computers to figure that stuff out. So, you know, for example, it's not hard to identify what stocks retail investors are buying based on, you know, how the trades come through. So we've got the ability, for example, in some situations to kind of figure out, you know, all right, here, here's a whole bunch of trades. Well, this is an institutional trade. We can tell because of the size and the block and how it's done. This is a retail trade. Get a real good sense of what stocks are really popular with retail investors. We can also figure out through computers sentiment. You know, what's, what's popping on Twitter? What's popping on different social media? you know, those types of things. So we don't have to go out to Wall Street bets and Reddit. You know, hedge funds, we can figure out what they're doing because they've got to publicize their holdings on a quarterly basis. So that, I mean, that's how we look at that stuff. Okay, so do you, do you have some kind of bots set up to see kind of what's trending on, you know, on these social media platforms? Because obviously you can, you can look at trades all day, but as far as just general chatter online, uh, what kind of tools are, are you using to, to find these things? So we've got computer programs that can kind of not, you know, looking at it constantly, but can put it all together and say, you know, hey, this week, you know, GameStop was, you know, up here on positive chatter and AMC was down here. 
So, you know, maybe we're going to buy GameStop, but maybe we're not going to buy AMC. Okay, so let's talk about the hedge funds reaction to this, because beyond, you know, getting some government regulation, which can take months or years down the road, what have you seen hedge funds do right now? You know, a, a big one, let's let's take AMC, for example, you know, hedge funds were, you know, shorting the that stock like crazy. Retail investors jump in and buy the stock as much as they can and band together. Are you seeing maybe hedge funds jump on the other side? Uh, obviously, you know, there, you have your fund. And are there any other big, large head funds that are maybe saying, you know, maybe we should do what these retail investors are doing? I, I'm seeing it both ways. You're seeing, which is great, because you don't, if they all jump on the bandwagon, then, then, then we have a problem. Right. You need to push so, it up hole. So. Right. I'm seeing it both ways. We've got the guys who say, you know, hey, we're old school. This is a mania. Fundamentals matter. Eventually, you know, put in your meme stock here, AMC, GameStop, they're going to go to zero and we're going to short these things and, you know, and, and we'll ride it out and we'll fight them. And you're seeing the guys like me are like, you know, maybe, maybe not, but, you know, this stuff is going up. We know how to trade it. And so, you know, Wall Street's putting free money in front of us. Let's, you know, let's take it, you know, let's, let's go where, you know, where, where things are going. And yeah, so, you know, we're seeing it both ways, which is important because you need the short squeeze, you know, the short squeeze is rocket fuel. So that's another screen we're looking at is, so once I've got, all right, here are the 50 stocks retail investors like, then I can sort them even more and say, which ones, have either the highest short interest, or if someone had to cover their short position would take the longest time to do it. And I mean, and that's, I mean, that's our basket of future meme stocks, you know, because all that stuff is really good fodder for, uh, you know, what may happen. Great. And all that data, realistically, is available to the individual investors. So technology makes it easier, you know, access to information. So what do you see this market looking like five, 10 years down the road? Are, is the fight against hedge funds going to still be on? Are hedge funds going to look different? Are retail investors going to act different? Is there, is there any kind of signs you see down the road of this behavior changing or adapting? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, we don't think the retail investor is going anywhere. Sure. So, you know, instead of just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a value guy or I'm a growth guy. What the retail investor is doing, retail investor sentiment has to go in there. So, you know, there's really almost kind of that third pillar. All right, I like value stocks. I like growth stocks. I like retail favorites. And so I don't think that's going anywhere. I think the hedge funds are going to have to adapt to that or they're going to die. You know, you just saw the hedge fund in London go under. Now they mm. said it wasn't to do with their AMC losses, but I mean, <laughs> the, timing, <laughs> the timing seemed a little bit of a, all right, we lost a bunch of money on AMC. Oh, we're closing the doors. But both of those don't have anything to do. I mean, who knows? But, you know, you're going to see more of these guys losing the battle and, you know, they're going to have to be cognizant of what the retail investor is doing. I kind of feel like in the press, it, it's kind of a David versus Goliath situation too, where it's, you know, oh, screw the the rich corporate guy, you know, the individual person had kind of won. Is there a way that maybe maybe the press is is helping to to spin this story as well? 
So, I mean, you know, there are a couple of different things there. The problem is when you're dealing with the, the main street press, you always got to follow the money. Who are their advertisers? Sure. Their advertisers are the guys that don't want to see AMC <laughs> and GameStop zooming up. So, and, you know, and who are the people that they quote in those publications? It's the hedge fund managers. It's not, you know, the, the little guy. I mean, you know, you are starting to see some of these, you know, big Wall Street bet guys getting on, you know, CNBC and Fox Business and all that. And that's great. But, you know, the, the people that the reporters are talking to, you know, to try to get feedback for their stories are going to be the institutional investors and the advertisers can be the institutional investors. So I can't imagine we'd ever see a situation where these big financial publications are, are on the side of the little guy. I agree. Uh, Matthew, this has been really interesting. I appreciate your time. For more information, uh, Tuttle Capital Management, uh, the ticker symbol is FOMO, FOMO, of course. It trades on the CBOE. Uh, anywhere else that uh, potential investors can go to learn more about your fund or more about your company. Like I said, they have uh, various other funds and some really interesting categories. Yeah, so our website is TuttleCap.com. Uh, that's got a list of all of our funds. Yeah, I'm fairly active on Twitter at Tuttle Capital. So, you know, you can follow me there as well. Awesome. We'll put all that information in our show notes for the bosses out there. And once again, Matthew, really appreciate the time. This is an interesting fun. And I think that, you know, this isn't going anywhere. So some people might really want to get into this. And this, this seems like more of a, a safer bet to get into these crazy wild stocks. <laughs> I, which is exactly what we wanted to do. We didn't want something that was gimmicky. You know, you know, that can either go great or it can blow up in your face. We wanted something that would stand the test of time, that was flexible, and that could give the, you know, the investor who's watching this, but it doesn't want to be buying individual stuff. You know, hey, here, here, here's a way to, uh, you know, get rid of your fear of missing out. Couldn't have said it better. Thanks again, Matthew. All right. Thank you for having me. I still can't believe how good of a ticker symbol this is. I got that FOMO. <laughs> I totally agree. There's actually been some really cool ones lately. And I think speaking to that retail investor side, actually the tickers have gotten better. There's been some really good ones. There's a uh, Duckhorn wine. I'm not sure you're familiar with them, Johnny. They got the ticker symbol Napa. It's like, you can't get a better mm. symbol than that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah. it's, it's more about, you know, just, oh, let's get the closest letters to our name. And it's more of a branding thing to appeal to these retail investors. I think that kind of speaks to what I was talking to Matthew about in the new mindset of the current investor. Yeah. I mean, and that's genius. I mean, because Duck, you know, a Duck Hill Wines would be like DHW versus Napa. That sounds yeah. so much better. <laughs> I totally agree. And everyone knows what FOMO is. And people have major FOMO for these stocks. So, First of all, I got to ask, we've preached it a lot on the show, low fees, low fees, low fees. Um, I personally do invest in a couple other ETFs that uh, have a little bit lower fee than this. So he said uh, their fee is 90 basis points. That's, uh, for those of you not familiar, that's just less than 1%. It's a 0.9% fee. Uh, to compare, I, I own uh, shares in a, a gambling 
like online gaming type uh, ETF called Bets, B-E-T-Z. They're at 0.75. And I also have an airline ETF called Jets, and that's 0.6. So even in comparison, it sounds like small numbers, but I think it's a pretty high fee for now. What do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, well, first off, all those ticker symbols are awesome. <laughs> so I think there's, there's definitely a correlation between how cool the ticker symbol is and how high of a fee it is. Yeah. I got to agree. Is the prob- <laughs> yeah. But here's the problem with, with these fees. It doesn't sound like that much. You're like, oh, you know, who cares? It's less than 1%. It's 0.9%. It's 0.75%. It's 0.6%. This is why we encourage everyone in our recommended resources um, on investlikeaboss.com to read books like Money Master the Game or uh, Unshakable just to get the principles and actually do the math on what 1% is over 10, 20, 30 years. People will be, be shocked, you know, on an average person's lifespan, that's 50 grand in just fees versus, you know, what could be five grand uh, just to have a lower fee. And, and <clears throat> I, th- I think these ETFs are kind of getting kind of towards being a mutual fund. Like, a ma- like we, we all got away from managing mutual funds because they had high fees. They had one, two, 3% fees. And we found out they were a ripoff. The easiest way to think of this math is you're not paying 1% fees. You're basically paying 10% because at most you're, you're probably going to go up by, let's say 10% a year, but if they're taking 1%, they're taking a 10th of all your gains. So you're basically giving them 10% of everything that, that you make from them, which is crazy. If you, you know, if you want to pay that much money, you know, give it to me. <laughs> uh, I see what you're saying there. There's something to be said about it actively managed. I think it's not necessarily for the good or the bad. I thought it was interesting that they rebalance every week. It's it's almost like he just has a set of rules that, you know, it's, it's Monday. We have to rebalance it just for the sake of rebalancing it. That worried me a little bit, honestly. Well, I, I think the way it works is, so I have to, I have to look this up. Uh, what is the difference between a mutual fund and index fund and an ETF. I think a lot of people don't actually understand uh, the difference in that. I, and I didn't, you know, either. I just kind of assumed, you know, mutual fund is just, um, you know, with the big, the manager and there's some guy that goes in and says, oh, you know, I read on, you know, on the uh, news, in the newspaper or I had this meeting with someone, we should buy this. Versus an index fund normally just tracks something. So it's like an algorithm that says, okay, just buy the, you know, 500 biggest companies or something. So it turns out that an index fund technically is also a mutual fund, right? And an ETF is also an index fund. So it's confusing, but I think I think it's the old school terminology that in your head, mutual fund is these higher fees. But all these funds are a a sort of mutual fund in themselves. Yeah. So to make it very very easy, let's let's call it like actively traded funds. Those normally have you know, that you're relying on a person or a team of people. Normally they have a you know, huge salary. They're living in New York. They're, you know, going to, you know, Boca Raton on yachts. So your money is going towards paying their salary. And we've, you know, found out that, you know, no matter how good someone is, usually these index funds end up beating them out anyways. So on the opposite spectrum, there's these kind of boring index funds that we talked about where it just tracks, you know, the 3000 biggest companies or something like that. Those have super low fees because it's literally can be ran by just a, you know, a handful of people, you know, it's just a computer algorithm. 
this FOMO ETF and I think this new trend of ETFs are somewhere in the middle where they're still using a computer algorithm. So they have a smaller team. It's not just some person I'm guessing, but they're, you know, trading a lot more often than an index fund would be. Right. As an index fund is going to carry a lot more stocks, I think, because uh, Matthew said, you know, the average position for this fund at least is around 1%. So we got to assume that they're holding about a hundred companies, whereas, you know, a VTI can be in the thousands. Yeah. So like VTI is like, you know, I mean, and there are some smaller ones, right? Like an S and P 500 fund is, you know, 500 stocks. Uh, that's considered like a decently big one. Uh, you know, Vanguard's uh, VTI, which is, which is the total U S stock market is 3000. You know, I like that's diversified. FOMO has 108 uh, different stocks right now. Well, there we go. Uh, <laughs> It, it changes. Uh, I actually pulled it up on their site and I can tell you uh, it's actually surprising that these kind of, um, you know, FOMO-esque stocks that, that I would think of as a FOMO stock, they're holding a very, very, very tiny percentage in. So on one hand, yes, you know, you do get uh, exposure to those, but if you're looking at it from a, you know, market, like how much physical dollars you have in there. Let's say you invest $10,000, a very tiny amount of your money is actually going to go into GameStop or GME. Most of it is going to go into uh, things like Coca-Cola or uh, healthcare or Verizon or Walmart. And to me, these aren't really like, you know, FOMO stocks. There's just, you know, maybe trendy hot stocks that, that happen to be high right now. Well, I think they have to do that too because you know these stocks are so wild. If you went all in on a GameStop, AMC, BlackBerry, whatever it may be, the fun is going to be all over the place. And I think that's the last thing you want for a fun that's thirty days old. Yeah, you know, and there's definitely not a um, you know there's there's not a, a history yet where people can to see how it goes. But at the same time, I, I really think this is more like trend following than anything, where maybe that's what you're looking for. Maybe you want exposure to, you know, these smaller stocks that aren't going to be in the S and P 500, but you still don't want to miss out. I mean, you don't want to miss out because you want to feel like you own part of it and you want to have some of that upside. Um, but at the same time, for me, if I was going to invest in a FOMO index fund, I'd want it to be YOLO. You know, you know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that's the fund we should call it. We call it the YOLO <laughs> the fund. YOLO fund. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I should start my own fund. I'm going to call it. I'm you should do it, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not doing that. But if uh, these guys <laughs> want to take my idea, I think that is your your next fund uh, is going to be the YOLO fund. And what should be in there is going to be things like GameStop or um, you know AMC or anything that basically has potential to swing you know a thousand percent. I hate to burst your bubble, Johnny, but the YOLO ticker is taken. And guess oh, what kind no. of ETF it is. <sighs> I don't know. It's, I hope it's exactly what I said. Uh, not really, but it's still fun. It's a cannabis ETF. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. Actually. So uh, in the FOMO fund, there is a little bit of cannabis as well. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to, to sort it by, let's say if you sort it by like percent of fund um, change healthcare is the biggest holding with a 1.44%. Um and actually, that happens to, I think, also be the, the biggest amount of money as well. Um, $84,000 of their 
of the kind of the fun uh, is in that. But if you look at the shares of basically like the shares of stock, there's some like Sundial Growers, which is a cannabis grower, because they're basically a penny stock. Uh, they have, you know, it's only 0.82% of the entire fund, but they have 48,000 shares because they're like a dollar share. So sure. I think things like that potentially, you know, can pop and you can make a lot of, you know, make a lot of money. But at the same time, the the ones that actually are holding them up the most amount of money is like literally Verizon Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. And like I said, I think it's a volatility factor. They just, they can't risk that yet being a brand new fund. You know, if let's say these things pay off, they look like geniuses, but if they don't, then, you know, they're in trouble. Uh, Johnny, if you can send me that link too, I'll put that up in the show notes so everybody can find out what the fund's actually holding. Yep, I, I just sent it to you now. So I like this concept, but there's no way I'm uh, I'm gonna pay a, almost 1% fee, 0.9% fee for something that, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I can see why, I see why people would do this. Uh, I think this is a better, uh, at least at least more prudent choice than trying to, you know, invest in individual stocks just to, you know, not have FOMO. At the same time, it is kind of halfway there to being an actively traded fund and you're paying, you know, a high, high fee. Uh, not as high as a mutual fund, but at the same time, it's not 0.03% like VTI. I mean, it's, if you think about it that way, the difference between 0.9% and 0.03 is 20, it's a 22 time. They basically, they're, they're charging 22 uh, times more uh, to be in the FOMO fund versus being in Vanguard's VTI, which is 3000 stocks and has a, most of these stocks in there anyways. You're just not going to get the the little things like GameStop and um, AMC. Sure, and I gotta wonder if if the fee will go down eventually because uh, he said they're only holding about uh, just over seven million in assets. So if you take one percent of seven million, that's seventy grand, which is pays for one person's middle class salary. So the fund's really young and it's early. You know, there's no guarantee that the the fee will go down and it could go up. So no one knows. It's just so early to say anything. But I think if you are, you know really, really wanting to get in on these Wall Street bet stocks, it, 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 there could be a lot worse places that you could throw a few bucks in. Yeah. And actually, what's funny is maybe VT actually does hold a little tiny bit of uh, of uh, GME, which oh, would be you crazy. Oh, check it, it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, considering its current stock price, I mean, it's moved up in market value quite a bit. So they might have yeah. uh, reached the threshold to uh, buy in. Actually, so I'm right. It has a, <laughs> it's a it's a small percentage. It's like 0.02 percent, but VTI contains Jamie, so I don't need a I don't necessarily need a FOMO because it's in there. Well, I own some VTI myself too, so we're both in that GameStop game right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love the idea. I'm glad we had him on. I, I think this is this is fun. Uh, this is something that I think is going to kind of be the trend. To be honest, I, I think more and more people. You know, especially these kind of a uh, young Yoloisk, uh, hip, you know, <laughs> investors like you, Derek, are going to take that <laughs> um, that bird charging money, you know, and start like you know buying these uh, like these these ETFs with cool stock uh, tickers, things that us kind of older investors n- have never even heard of. 
I guess I did fall into the marketing trap because after I read those stickers to you, I was like, Hey, I'm buying the cool ticker symbols too. <laughs> well, in go. general, let's talk about, I talked a lot of it with Matthew. What do you think of the whole, you know, retailer, let's get all our buddies together and buy a stock versus the hedge funds. I personally love it. And I think it's great, but I feel like they're going to try to crack down on it, but I don't know how you can, cause they're not doing anything wrong. They're just saying, it's like a friend calling you and say, Hey, I just found this really good deal or the sale on a product. You know, TVs are, there's a 60 inch TV for a hundred bucks at Best Buy. Go get it. It's essentially the same thing. So no, where do you see it going? It, it, it's more like this. It's more like saying, all right, let's get, let's tell everyone we know, uh, you know, at school, you know, to boycott this one, um, you know, like this one electronic store in our town, like the only, like, you know, and, 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 and if they have no customers for two months, they're going to be forced to, you know, to go out of business and they're going to put everything on sale. And then what we're going to do is we're going to buy all of it. And no, I, I, I think the students <laughs> rallying together are the hedge funds. That's the hedge funds betting against them. It could be, you know, and so, I mean, either way it is market manipulation, you know, whether legally uh, you can call it that or not, but I don't like hedge funds and I don't like it when individuals do it uh, either. And, and with the power of the internet now, like, it's, it can, you know, it spreads. Uh, I think that the, the best thing about it that, uh, uh, that happened was hopefully it's going to put some kind of, you know, regulation or stoppage to companies just, you know, short squeezing, um, you know, otherwise viable companies into bankruptcy into, you know, into doing, doing poorly. I think that's always, you know, you know, always terrible. Uh, I, I hated, um, the guy from whatever Citron Research, Andrew left oh, because yeah. he was trying to short uh, Shopify, which I knew was a good company. I was a customer of theirs. I was an affiliate of theirs. I had met some of their team. I had used their you know their service for years. I, I knew they were a good company. And when this you know a hole goes on and tries to sh you know short squeeze them and basically drive them out of business, I was like this is stupid. Like he's, you know, they've done nothing wrong. He's just painting them in a bad picture to try to make them basically go out of business so he can make money on the short. That should not exist. Right. And I think the bad thing about this, as much as I like, you know, the retailers going against the hedge funds, the bad thing is everybody loses in the sense that fundamentals almost mean nothing anymore. You could, you could look at, you know, the financials of a company, it could look great. And if someone decides to short the hell out of it, it doesn't matter. You know, if it's a Shopify, that it's a great company and on paper, it looks good financially. And someone comes in and buys 10 million shares of it and screws the whole price of it. There's not much you can do. Yeah. I mean, and it's kind of like, you know, this trend where like, if somebody says, you know, you know, someone's, you know, someone did something or someone's a bad person, you know, and that person's a public figure, it can just basically smear their whole life. And no matter what they do, they can't fight back. You know, they're just because they're like this company or this, you know, politician or whatever it is, or this celebrity. So I think that's a trend that, you know, we're going through in the US that hopefully doesn't exist uh, in the future. I think some people are going to get caught up, you know, called out on calling Wolf and, uh, you know, Andrew left and Citron Research, they got, you know, hopefully they got a bit screwed from this. So they're going to stop, they're going to stop these uh, positions in the future. So I'm happy it happened, but personally, that's not something I would invest in. And I don't, I don't personally want to see this continue this trying to continue. 
Yeah, it's wild. Uh, I agree. It's it's gotten a little out of control. Uh, I guess we'll see what the next few years bring us. With that, well, um, I guess it's a no from you, Johnny. It's a, it's a maybe for me. <laughs> I, I can see that, actually. I can see you owning some FOMO stock. Uh, speaking of which, if somebody wants to buy it, it's not on the New York Stock Exchange. It's on the Chicago yep, Stock Exchange. Yeah, the CBOE. So if somebody wanted to buy that, can they still get it through, you know, traditional channels like yeah any like major Shop platform or... you should be able to get it um depending on what it is there may be a small fee i know since Robinhood came along trades are free on most exchanges it could be a small fee uh for instance you know uh myself and sam did as well that the company we had a couple episodes again very good foods was um traded on the uh I can't think of the exchange right now. Anyways, it had like a $7 fee. It's, it's very minimal. There might be a small fee on it. Just heads up. Okay. Well, either way, let me know how it goes. If anyone's up buying it, let us know in the boss lounge. If you want to come hang out with us in Kiev, Ukraine, it's not too late. If you have listened to this episode as it comes out, go to patreon.com uh, slash invest like a boss or go to invest like a boss.com, click on Patreon. Support the show and leave a comment under the schedule to let us know you're coming so we can add you to the private chat. And Derek, have a safe flight and I'll see you out here, buddy. Thank you. I will see you soon. And hopefully a ton of other bosses out there too so we can celebrate your 40th, Johnny. Ooh. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.